crew that you guys hear on Sundays at uh, 10, 10 o'clock or is it 11 o'clock? 10 o'clock? 10 o'clock. Starts at 10. Is it, what time is it? Uh, from 10 to 11. 10 to 11. That's right. 10 o'clock, 10 to 11. Um, and you have the option of hearing them also on uh, the Apple Podcasts, Apple, uh, Spotify. They're on all of those platforms. Uh, and it's really cool. They go so deep uh, into... You know what's funny is that you guys go deep into the Old Testament and showing everyone how it's relevant today. And I, I love that because uh, I, I realize that so many people, like some one of the biggest mistakes that we make uh, as the body of Christ sometimes is opening the word of God and reading it with, you know, the, the way words mean to us and our interpretation and uh and, and it's so good to find out, like, hey, before there was you, there was what the word actually meant. <laughs> I think that's really cool because uh, it's so easy to it's so easy to to do. It's so easy to say, you know, uh, you know, this word means this to me. <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty always. It's, uh, I'm not saying God dismisses it, but I'm saying it's funny when people are like this is what this scripture means to me. And the truth is, it's more like, yeah, but what does it mean? <laughs> you know, so I know that's how, how do you how do you avoid doing that? Where you taking the word into your own interpretation? Well, you know, I used to teach English, and one of the things that we had to uh, get across to readers is that um, writers write with an intention. And so the first thing that we have to say, the, what we would teach kids is what does it say? What, 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 is, what, are, what are we actually dealing with in terms of words on a page? Right. And the, the second thing we get across is what does it mean? That is, what, the, what did the author intend to say? So we have to look at all of the information in the text through the lens of that author in that period of time. The third question then is, okay, now I know what this author said, what he or she intended to say. Now, what does it mean to me? So uh. I, think, I think we should take that same approach when it comes to the scripture. What does it literally say? What, what are the words on the page? Now, Isaiah. Paul, Jeremiah, John, these were all people located in a place and a time and a culture where words had certain meanings. Okay, so what do these words mean when these authors wrote them? How would the people of that time understood them? Once I understand that, then I can ask, all right, what does all of this mean to me? So I think that's the approach that we should take when we look at the scripture as well. So with that being said, because I know that there's this romantic relationship that people have with, uh, with you know, I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to crack open my Bible. I'm going to read the scripture. And, you know, and when they start off with the to me, we, we, I think we approach the Bible with what this means to me. And sometimes, because I've heard people say, oh, doctrine doesn't matter. The word of God is living and it'll speak to you at the right time. And 
And I've seen that myself where something I'll see something in scripture and it inspires me, but that does not necessarily mean I've got the the actual meaning of the context. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that the word is living and uh, sharper than a two-edged sword. I think it's important to keep in mind that it is the sword of the spirit so that we can open the Bible at any time and the spirit enlivens a word and we might not understand it completely in its context. I think that's a valid uh, valid way to think about how the spirit operates in our lives through, through reading the word and, and taking the word into our spirits. But, you know, when we talk about doctrine, we're, we're simply saying this is what the Bible teaches. And <laughs> right. So we, we can't divorce ourselves from doctrine, you know, I'm using air quotes, uh, because it's what the Bible teaches. So uh, if we come up with an interpretation of something that is against doctrine, <laughs> against what the Bible has historically taught, as the church has historically understood, if we come up with uh, uh, an understanding that is is uh, against what the church has historically taught, uh, then we are in some pretty dangerous water, I would say. Yeah, because it's so easy to, I mean, now we're just talking about the, the God, seriously, you can go into a God of our imagination at that point. Cause we're not, you know, we're not, you know, we're not getting, cause I, I, it's so interesting. I've seen people, and we're going to get to the topic now because it's the heart of Christ. I've seen people passionately tell people, you know, that if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not filled with the Holy spirit. I've seen people tell people that uh, if you, if you have not been physically baptized, if you are not going to heaven, I've seen people uh, tell people, the Old Testament is no longer relevant. I've seen I and and when I'm seeing all of these polarizing, you know, uh, concepts, right? And, and and you know, and I've seen people paint Jesus as legalistic. I've seen people paint Jesus as fun loving, and they do it with the same intensity and same passion. Like I know that this is right, and God said this is right. God told me. This is how you how you're supposed to be, um, and and one of the things that happened when we were in Florida is we had an experience. Uh, I had just prayed. I didn't know my daughter had prayed, but I had just prayed. You know, uh, we we got to this hotel, and, and we were, of course, you know, the kids wanted to get in the pool and the hot tub, and I was like, well, you know, I'm a big guy. You know, I'm going to the hot tub to <laughs> heal some of these bones, and so I sit in the hot tub, and I'm like, all right, God, don't don't allow us to waste your time, you know, use us. We're available. Use us. And they're sitting in the, the hot tub. All of a sudden these kids come over and they're acting silly and crazy. And we end up like a woman at the well situation. We were like the kids in the hot tub. You know what I mean? We were the people in the hot tub and we end up having a church service pretty much in the hot tub. And these Jehovah's witnesses come over and they saw the zone that these kids were really learning and everything like that. And the first thing they start off with in the most profound way, and I'm not bashing anybody. So if you're a Jehovah's witness, chill, but here's what happens. Instead of like participating, they like try to take over. And what their idea was, was just to enlighten us by saying, do you know that the true name of God 
is Jehovah? Like, were you aware of that? And I'm trying to find the wisest way to deal with this. And this is what leads to the topic for today, which is the heart of Christ. I wanted to prove them wrong. I wanted to be like, oh gosh, Jehovah's Witnesses and all that stuff. But God was like, no, dude, they have a heart for truth. They, they have a heart for it. Guide them, lead them, you know, explain, show them, enlighten them. Don't be offended. Don't be offended or create tension by their 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 this disbelief or even by what they believe wholeheartedly. Just say what I tell you to say, you know, and, and just say what the word says. And so I begin to do that. I begin to speak from a messianic perspective and begin to say, you know, hey, well, you know, the, the oh, historically, I was like, well, that's actually not true. You know, did you were you aware? Well, no, I didn't say that's not true. I said, were you aware that the letter J wasn't created for 500 years? And these, and I'm going, I can't lose these kids because they're trying to figure out how any of this is relevant. But when I begin to communicate to them, and this is why I was like, we got to do a show today. Because when I begin to communicate to them, they were actually interested. The same way you said you take these kids through these steps to learn English, I got these kids wanting to learn Hebrew. Huh? Wanting to learn. Because they're like, hey, so you're telling us the letter J is only 500 years old. They're interested. We didn't know that. You know, it, it, it's almost like the new form of rebelling for teenagers. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like they even asked, they're like, hey, we make slang up all the time. So they were they were totally into it. And 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 I watched these Jehovah's Witnesses listen. So by being able to give them some historical accuracy, it not only dealt with the combativeness of battling doctrine, but by giving them historical accuracy it automatically postured me in a place where they wanted to learn. Oh, that's great. You know, and, uh, and, and I was able to tell everybody to subscribe to One New Man Ministries. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, There's so, even something more about uh, Jehovah, and that is uh, the vowels in Jehovah are not actually the correct vowels uh for god's original name that they were uh borrowed from the hebrew word adonai which That's means borrowed. uh and it was supposed to make the name unpronounceable the 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 copyists did that on purpose and so even the word jehovah uh, besides the letter j has the wrong vowels in it yeah, and I love the American way. It's such an American thing. It's like, um, we know this isn't accurate, but we'll just go with it. You know, <laughs> we'll, just go, we'll just go with it. We did the best we could. Because I think about the, the fact that we say we speak English, like, but, you know, and I know I feel bad for you because you, you actually teach proper English. And, you know, it's almost well, like, you know, it's like once we go into slang and you, I feel bad for just like, do you even know how hard is it to exist as an English teacher in a country that doesn't use proper English? Well, you know, <clears throat> the goal of language is to transmit messages. 
And the only languages that don't change are dead languages. So as an English teacher, I, uh, I am uh, constantly aware that uh, things change, right? Um, that and, and you know, being an English teacher for 24 years, it was interesting uh, to to know and to recognize when when uh, when kids came each new year, uh, the language was the same but a little different. So that by the time we got five years out uh, from any given point, we had a completely different set of words that <laughs> meant cool or or gross or whatever yeah. uh, that, 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 that the language changed. And of course, the, the thing that kids always uh, laugh at then is, is when you're trying to be cool, only you're using words from five years ago. Right? <laughs> they love that. I'm that guy. <laughs> so so the, the challenge as an English teacher <clears throat> was <clears throat> the mostly on, on the writing side, you know, we talk about proper English and then there's, <clears throat> understanding that language is flexible and that we we have different different languages for different purposes we speak differently in different in, in different places it's just a fact and <clears throat> one of the <clears throat> one of the problems that i would run into with some kids <clears throat> is they couldn't distinguish especially when i was i was doing bible studies at the juvenile detention center they couldn't distinguish the different language that was required when you were hanging out with your friends as opposed to standing in front of a judge. We 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 should have a different that's not okay. Different ability in our messaging, to use a, a word from today, depending on who the audience is. And I think that that's really the trick in what we would call proper English is we, we need to be conversant uh, in, in a variety of English styles, let's call them uh, the street style, my, my, my friend style, my, my uh, language style with, with uh, close friends, language style with, with people that I know a little less, you know, uh, and, and then a, a clearly formal way to communicate, uh, which is what we would call proper English, I guess, for lack of a better term. Oh, I'm trying to get a job. I'm not about to try to apply for a six-figure job. Right. You know, talking, talking crazy, like you know, and and I, I totally hear what you're saying, uh, but I, this this is why I, I'm I'm trying to be very careful with this. When you're dealing with the Bible, uh, it's very important to understand the that language the, the hebrew culture and the greek culture so that you can be aware of those nuances right because if you're not you're, right. yeah, yeah there are many many things that are culturally <clears throat> culturally bound or culturally significant that if we don't understand the culture uh, we're going to get some pretty weird weird thoughts yeah, I'm gonna tell you right now. If I only, if I have to forgive my brother seventy times seven, then I'm counting. <laughs> like it's right. in the Bible; it said it seventy times seven. Right. <laughs> One of my favorite examples is just from the King James. Uh, they tran they they translate a Greek word 
um, properly translated um, bowels. Uh, and the phrase in the in the in the King James is uh, bowels of mercy, but if we, <laughs> we're going to get some pretty weird ideas about that, if we don't right. in that culture, uh, different internal organs were assigned to different uh, emotions and responses, and the bowels were thought to be the seat of mercy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the problems are from your belly. Try and think today, how do I go around having bowels of mercy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to come up with some pretty strange thoughts. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just like, well, the, the mind is where everything is. The brain, the mind is how we pray. The mind, and then you read scripture that says, prophesy from your belly. And you're like, what? Prophesy, like, mm -hmm. you, you know, like, <laughs> what is that? You know, but it's like, well, and I realize, and this is what I want everybody to hear, because this is extremely important. The reason why we want to be very careful with how we handle scripture is because the message of the heart of Christ is in our ability to understand. Like, there's a lot of things that Yeshua said that the people in that day would have known, so it didn't need explanation. Is that, is that accurate? Sure. Uh, I mean, the most obvious is his, for, for those of us who are not farmers, uh, the most obvious is how many times he refers to agriculture and uh, those sorts of analogies. If, 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 Huge. We're, if we're not familiar with that sort of world, then we're missing what he's saying. And so many of us have to read up on on those kinds of things in order to really appreciate what he's talking about right well, i want to jump into one that's a very obvious example if, if we're not uh coming from the same cultural place as the people who heard him or again this is about messaging you know jesus had a message for the people of his day we sit here today and we say that that's a transcendent universal message but we have to understand the message that he gave in the context that he gave it if we're going to apply it to our situation today, right? Yeah. Well, so here's the situation that this is what I really want to jump into because uh, this sounds like complete madness. Uh, the scripture, uh, the, the concept of it, it from an English American Christian perspective, this scripture does not make any sense whatsoever. The idea of leaving 99 for the one. Here we have the majority of, uh, you, know, you know, like 99, most people want to say, you know what? I'm patting myself on the back. I've got 99 on my sheep. I got, I got a 99 on my test score. I got a 99. 99, the way we see this almost uh, 100 almost perfection concept is enough to celebrate, you know, put your feet up, take a load off, you know, and yet, uh, you see Yeshua saying that this one lost sheep is valuable, and I'm saying if I've taken care of my kids, taken care of my parents, uh, taking care of my community, you know, and then. And I walk past this one homeless guy. Are you trying to tell me, you know? And so it's like, when you do, like, I'd love for you to discuss that because that is intense. 
where it's like 99 is not enough. You know, and this number of like, like, where is he coming from? Yeah, I, I don't look at it quite that way that 99 is not enough. Rather that uh, 99 is is uh, is a very valuable collective thing, but each of the 99 is a one, right? And, and each one, I think, is what the point of the parable. Each, each one is valuable. Yeah. That that um, the the value of the one who went astray is as great as the ninety nine who didn't. <laughs> and I have to go get that one who went away and bring him back to the flock. Maybe a, the other way to look at it would be that the flock isn't complete without this one. Gee, yeah. Just, you know, I think that people, it, it, I could clearly see his heart in this scripture. Uh, and that's where I want to show uh, people. We, we almost, we almost, we, I mean, we have a lot of people listening right now for whatever, for whatever uh, reasons. And I know we've been on the road, some people from all over uh, who maybe saw the website, saw the car and they're uploaded. So thank you everybody for listening, uh, tuning in. You know, so, um, uh, I know we, we we're also on YouTube, so if you want to see the the you know the the uh, show from the inside, see the studio, just go to Coming to Jesus T-shirts. We're on YouTube and podcasts and all that stuff. So, you know, we're we're live. If you have any questions, you know, uh, please feel free to post your questions when you come on. We have a really big listening on it. I'm so glad we're traveling now because it gives people the opportunity to see everything that we're doing, you know, their curiosity when they see coming to Jesus.org and current FM. So appreciate that. Um, but and this is kind of why I wanted to have this conversation because one of the things that I saw was uh, so many people right now as our culture has multiplied and as I'm talking about as the human species has multiplied on the earth. So many people feel completely unloved undeserving of love, broken, uh, sad, void. They even build relationships completely numb because they're just going through the process because the only thing they really feel is that they don't want to be alone. And I wonder about that one that is trying to interpret, that one sheep trying to interpret reality all by themselves, with all of the threats that are out there, all the things that, are, that go bump in the night that are out there and what that one feels when the shepherd comes and finds them, you know, and comes in and, you know, how fast does that run, one run up when they finally see the, the shepherd that, that, you know, they, that they left or the, 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 the herd that they left. When I look at the value of that 99, I, I just see the heart of Christ in all in that I will leave the 99 to go get the one. Like that is, that's a beautiful depiction of his heart. Yeah, what do you think about that? All, all of us who, who know him today were, were that one at one time, right? And we, we're, we're in awe of the love of our God who gave his son, you know, uh, I, I just think of, of Romans 5, 8, God proves his love to us in this fact that while we were still his enemies, 
Messiah died for us. So we were, we were, we were the one that he came for. Uh, I, I was the one. <laughs> uh, we were the one. Uh, funny way to talk, but uh, you know, yeah. speaking to all of us collectively, we we all were the the one at one time. Uh, that God has added us to his flock, you know, that Isaiah and so many other places talk about uh, he's, a, he's a gentle shepherd. He gently leads those that have young. Uh, he gathers the sheep into his arms, all these beautiful pictures. And here's another example, really, of, of the, the cultural understanding that's necessary to really appreciate the pictures that God gives us of himself, because uh, most of us are not familiar with shepherds and a shepherd's life and how no, shepherds not at all. and so uh it, it it's worthwhile for us to to read what we can at some point or have some preacher tell us about shepherds and uh how, how shepherds manage their flocks and you know there's stories about uh shepherds today and watching how they work and uh, flocks come in from so many different places at nighttime to feed it or, or stay one, in one safe place under the leadership of a variety of shepherds. And then in the morning, uh, somehow each shepherd starts to make whatever noises they make or speak whatever they say. And <laughs> sheep separate themselves out according to those voices that they hear, which gives us insight into my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, you know. so. So there's there's this uh, necessity to, to to understand even the the cultural aspects of, of shepherding to to fully appreciate the heart of Christ as we talk about the heart of love the heart of dedication the heart of loyalty the heart of service right the heart of of, of putting yourself out for another right because for sure uh, their 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 entire success as a shepherd is all about protecting the sheep and keeping them safe to help them reach whatever goal the the owner has for those sheep, right? Whether it's for, for shearing or whether it's for slaughter, uh, the shepherd's the shepherd's goal is to protect those sheep and deliver them to the end or the purpose uh, that the owner of the sheep has for them. And so, you know, think about Yeshua. Uh, his his role as shepherd is to is to preserve us and bring us fully and completely to the end or the goal that the Father has for us. And what is that goal? It's to be conformed to the image of Messiah, to be conformed to the image of, of Yeshua, of Jesus. And so the, the, the spirit of Jesus is in us now uh, with, with the intention to shepherd us to that final goal. It's just all so, so intertwined and interconnected. And the, and the goal of the, the heart of Jesus is seen in the protection of the sheep as well as adding to the flock, right? Right. Um, the, the, the flock ultimately is all those who have been called and chosen before the foundation of the world. And so the, the, the message goes out and the spirit is, is, is working and bringing in ultimately those who have been designated as sheep before the foundation of the world. So our role in, in reflecting the heart of Jesus, I guess, is that dual, I, dual role, I guess, of, of, of our, our contributing to the protection of the flock 
as well as seeking those who are to be added to the flock. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So you're talking, I'm thinking, oh man, this is the guy from the, the, the prince or whatever from Ethiopia when Philip, uh, I believe it's Philip that goes and talks to him. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it, a matter of fact, it's Philip going to talk to Simon the sorcerer, right. you know, um, and even it even feels like the woman at the well, to be totally honest with you, uh, where even even the disciples were shocked that Yeshua was even talking to the woman at the well. But again, you'd have to find uh, some of you go, why are they shocked that she's talking to the woman at the well? It's like, so there's some cultural issues that you need to know uh, right. to, to know what, why that was. And, that, and thank goodness that she actually does address this. Um, <laughs> Some one thing that I found out, you know, that I thought was very, very interesting. Uh, when I look at the heart of Christ, um, and I know this is a struggle for especially people in our in our country. And uh, do you think there was a point where he's like, okay, I have to prove myself to these people? And is that something that we have to be challenged with as well? You know, like, so he's trying to get people to believe that he's the Messiah. I I don't think Jesus ever felt the need to prove himself to anyone. Yeah. Um, you know, that says he didn't entrust himself to any man because he knew what was in the heart of man. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that he was. I have to be careful. I think we read uh, some level of disappointment or bewilderment. It's, uh, it's <laughs> That's a good right. word. When, when, he, when, he, when he looks at the disciples and he just, it seems as if he can't understand how they don't understand, right? I felt that. Um, uh, on the other hand, though, uh, he he knows what's in the hearts of men, even even the men who are the ones who closest to him. Uh, yeah, didn't, it, I call you, didn't I call you? And is isn't one of you going to betray me? So, you know, there's there's this tension in in Yeshua because he is the God Man, right? Yeah. That, He's operating as 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 the the perfect obedient man under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and so he 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 is limited, I guess, in some ways as to what he 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 knows by through the Spirit. You know, when we talk like this, it's. It's very difficult. Well, uh, I, under, I, I, I actually, I actually get it. Because, go ahead. He, it says he he emptied himself. He gave up all the prerogatives of his godhood to be subject himself to the direction of the Holy Spirit to show us how a human can live under the complete obedient direction of the Holy Spirit while retaining his his divine nature, you know, so he is, he is God and man perfectly and complete in, in, in one being. So 
I think there's this human expectation that he exhibits when he looks at the disciples that he 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 keeps under the direction of the Holy Spirit by not lashing out at them in, in ways that we, we might, right? Yeah, I can't believe we've been doing this and you are so stupid. For that reason, yeah, 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 back yeah. Of the line, right? Right, right. That's uh, definitely he, true, Sergeant Style. He never does that, but he, he expresses, have I been with you so long? Are, are you still stuck in kindergarten when I expected you to be a senior in high school, right? <clears throat> But, and I know you as a teacher had to experience that with students as well. Like, we went over this. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever done that? We went over this. You're not sure. paying attention. Yeah, you know. Sure. And, and parents, you know, the same thing. You know, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. And, and this is what's, what's so interesting. Um, how contagious that mindset became. Because that, that mindset is, like, we're talking about death here. These disciples can be killed uh, even after Christ leaves. His passion was resonating and burning so alive in their heart uh, that they're they're actually okay with dying for this. And that's that's another reason why, like when when I say oh, the Bible's written by man, it's like, yeah, but what did they get out of it? What did, what, did, what, did, what did the disciples get for continuing to preach Christ after he resurrected? Uh, when it was dangerous for them. It was uh, hard for them. And then, then you see what I thought was so interesting about this passion of Christ that was contagious into even uh, Paul, his own transformation. He, he's, this is not writing an email and hitting a mass text or anything like that. Paul's writing a letter and says, as if he's talking to his brothers scattered abroad, to say to my brothers scattered abroad, as if somehow there's some way you're going to read this letter. You're, you're going to hear what I'm saying, this revelation of God somehow. And it's written to rend like this, this idea that somehow this message is going to reach his brothers scattered around the world. He's writing as uh, so he's even writing from the perspective of his heart's desire to reach people with the passion of Christ, with, with the, the heart of Christ. Does that make sense at all? Um, I'm not really sure where you're going with that one. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm just saying the fact that he addresses when, 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 the, when the, in the New Testament, when it says and to the Jews who are scattered abroad, or just like there's this idea, this desperation of reaching people. I mean, with, like I said, with no mass technology of how to get communication out, there's this idea and passion to reach as many people possible with these messages that he's, I mean, of course, he's writing to the churches, but the way he addresses it, he addresses it from the perspective of this, this worldwide outreach heart. Well, I think all of the New Testament writers are writing from a perspective. Well, first of all, let's let's understand that the the motive force behind everything is that Jesus has come back from the dead. The resurrection is the power right. of right. in full display. And it was because they were convinced that he rose from the dead 
that they yes. were willing to put their lives on the line in the way that they did. I just watched, I don't remember if it was by Babylon B or somebody else, but a very humorous uh, video kind of poking holes in the idea that the uh, apostles just made up the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. And they're, it's kind of like a campfire scene. And they're saying, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to go around and we're going to tell everybody. So, so the premise is, if the disciples made this up. Uh, and so, so we're going to go around. We're just going to tell everybody that, that he rose from the dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one guy says, <laughs> and we'll get rich, right? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. Uh, but but we'll be okay, right? Is it no? Uh, they're yeah. gonna sting you. They're gonna kill you. They're gonna burn you. <laughs> so so kind of poking holes, poking yes. fun at the idea that the disciples, who except for John, all died deaths, uh, were executed in one horrible way or another, uh, were were literally the off scouring of the earth. If we if we use the apostle Paul's uh, life as any example for what they went through. Uh, shipwrecks, stonings, beatings, you know, chased out of town. Uh, this, this was their life. Right. So the reason they did that was because they had seen Jesus alive after he'd been crucified. When you go and you read Acts carefully, you notice that they went and they preached Jesus and the resurrection. It's amazing how many times it says, they preach the resurrection. Yeah, and, and I need everybody to understand. So offensive to to the Greeks, this this idea that one rose from the dead yeah. uh, when Athens, you know, the idea. <clears throat> so so I think the first thing we have to understand about the motive behind the letters is that they are they are writing from the powerful base of having seen the risen Lord. Yeah, and we're talking about death, the one sure thing that everyone experiences. And so, you know, this is, this is not something that, yeah, and, and again, it, it can cause a revolt. Uh, this is dangerous. Somebody asked me, why is this dangerous? And I want to address that a little bit. This is dangerous for several reasons. I thought, one, because uh, there were a lot of Jewish people that did not believe, and this was a very uh, offensive message to the Jewish people that did not believe. It's already, and then then anything that causes city unrest uh, in that time with Roman culture that that's also an issue, uh, and then of course the you know the arguments amongst the Pharisees and spiritual leaders, um, and, and then I have to include the the the. the the people who started kind of taking the liberty to do whatever they want. We've heard, we saw instances where a young man wanted to marry his dad's wife, you know, I guess his stepmom or, or you know, and all types of weird things happen when I, I can only imagine trying to organize the foundation of the, the this, new, this new church with Christ as the leader. Um, we have Ananias and Sapphira who was lying about how much they gave uh, and, and then that ends up turning into uh, a nightmare. Um, so you're talking about, a, there's a lot of moving parts, but I love how the passion of Christ and the heart of Christ resonated with people even through this persecution. You know, uh, and, it's, and it's not that we didn't see it before, 
we do see it in the Old Testament where I, I like where I now know it was the passion uh, of the coming of the Lord. Uh, when I see things like Jeremiah, when he, when he tells Jeremiah not to look at their faces, when, when the, God tells Jeremiah, don't look at their faces, uh, you're going to preach this, but don't worry about their response. And I see that same tone in Yeshua when he's manifested and and preaching. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes, because the situation at the root of it all is the same. You have a godly person trying to bring a godly message to ungodly people. <laughs> and so there are going to be people in the crowd, God's remnant. God's always had his, his people. Uh, but for the most part, it's a message that's rejected because uh, all of us have sinned and fallen short and gone our own ways and we prefer uh our our ways to god way god's way um so so it, it's completely understandable that what yeshua faced is similar to what his prophets faced in bringing god's word to god's people at that time yeah um Going back to the letters, then you know we talk about the 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 first motivated by the power of the resurrection. The second thing, then I would say, is they're motivated in that shepherd's stance about protecting the flock. Uh, when when Paul and Peter both talk about shepherds and shepherding, uh, they're talking about uh, what do we need to do to preserve the flock? We need to feed them God's word properly understood. Uh, we need to uh, make them aware of false teachers who may come in among them. Uh, we need to help them understand the godly lifestyle, what godliness looks like, so that they can live uh, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, in the proper understanding of grace, as Paul teaches Titus. And then the, the uh, other situation then that they're aware of is when Jesus at the end of Matthew says go into all the world and make disciples right so that uh, we are going into the world with the message of the resurrected Christ and we are called then to to bring in those who receive the message and to disciple them to teach them to train them how to live uh, at now as followers of Jesus Christ. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, what, what do they call that? A continuous feedback loop? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the think tank. So, um, so, so that you, you have the, the, the message goes out, uh, the seed lands on, on all different kinds of ground, uh, as, as wise farmers, you know, uh, that's what's so cool about about the letters that are written then is the different analogies that the, that are, are given to the church that we're soldiers we're farmers we're shepherds uh all of those all of those those different roles have different emphases and understandings uh the church is to be and do all of those things and that's why sometimes uh it's it's kind of a challenge for churches because we are called to, to be hospitals. We're called to be uh, schools. We're called to be 
uh, missionaries, you know, all of these things together. And that's why it takes so many of us because we're all gifted <laughs> in different ways. And, you know, that, that's the beautiful thing when the body is working together, all of these functions are, 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 are occurring. But the, the, the feedback loop then is, is the, the word goes out, it, it falls on some ground that is good ground, right? And yeah. that, these are the people who receive the message that are in God's plan, brought into a community of, of believers who walk with one another and help one another and encourage and exhort and rebuke and correct one another. Uh, and, and these are really significant moments. Right? I said these are really significant moments because they're all different. You know, mm -hmm. uh, like, like uh, you know, uh, of course, there's this God that we celebrate, but then there is a God that will rebuke us. <laughs> and it's like, we can't just, you know, there's the God of mercy and there is the God of justice, you know, who, and, and this, this, he has, you know, like, I would love to be able to, to take my dad's car, you know, fall asleep in the road, wreck it, and then just tell him, hey, dad, it was an accident. You know, I'm going to receive mercy from you now. Not correction, not, you know, I, I took the car without permission and I'm like, yeah. You know, now, let me tell you how you're going to feel. You're, you're, I'm going to tell you, you're just going to give me mercy. And, and um, my, one of my concerns about not understanding the passion of Christ uh, is, is people will assume that when things happen, it's they're telling God what he's going to do. You know, like, like God, okay, God, you're going to deliver me from justice, and I'm only going to experience grace. God doesn't necessarily have to move like that he does what he what he says he's going to do what he feels is best and, and i watch i did see in the beginning before the relationship with jesus and the pharisees got you know um tainted there was a time when they were trying to kind of pull him on their side and kind of asking questions like why do you do these things why are you they were really interested in in uh showing him that they needed him, you know, they, they, that he needed to be with them, you know, and, and why would you sit with these people? Why, why are you doing the opposite of what we think a holy man should do? Uh, and I've heard people say, oh, Jesus would hang out with the drunkards. He would hang out with the prostitutes. He was hanging out in the clubs and the bars. And I'm like, you know, yes, that did happen, but he was always leading like them out of something or you get my point. He was, he was never just hanging out at a bar. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's an important thing to, to, <laughs> to draw out is that Jesus was not afraid to go where sinners went uh, in terms of geographic location, but he did not go where sinners go in terms of behavior. Right. Right. You know, and I think that's, that's one of the things that people go, oh, man, you know, if I was you know, back in the day, Jesus would have loved me this way or that way. And I'm like, no, no, he had a standard. <laughs> well, yeah, I think the other thing that we should we should draw out is, you know, why did Jesus go there? He went there to present his message to people he thought needed it. Uh, right. It's, right. It's not the righteous that I came to call, but the sinners to repentance. And so if, if you want to hang out at bars, 
uh, like Jesus did, then you need to be prepared to stand around and tell the sinners that they're sinning and that they need to be saved. <laughs> well, with that, with that being said, in, in a gentle and kind way, I suppose, but yeah. we, still, we, we, we still need to, to, to say if, we, if we're going to compare ourselves to Yeshua, uh, well, he, he, he went and hung out with sinners, so I will too, uh, then we have to you know, make sure that similarity all the way to the end and say, my goal in being here is that I might uh, tell sinners that there is a remedy for their sin, even in the midst of a place where their sin, they think uh, is, is actually fun, right? Is actually uh, contributing to my life when in fact it is producing death in me. Well, this is what I want to say to that, to, to the, and I want to, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this because I think it's very, very interesting. Uh, when even so, we talk about Jesus hanging out of the bars, and we, we are talking about the heart of Christ, folks. Uh, we talk about Jesus hanging out of bars, and then at the same time, he's preaching so much that his his family is seeing that the crowd is not listening; they're not enjoying it; they don't like it; uh, they're starting to come at him. And then they start to calm, try to calm him down. Uh, and it, it, it's almost like there's a scene be, being made where the people are getting kind of hostile. And they use his family and say, even your family is telling you to stop. Even your family is telling you to, you know, maybe quit. Like the, the, you know, this, you're sounding ridiculous. You know, and he responds with, my my mother and father and sister oh my mother and and uh sister and brother are those that do the will of god that's a pretty hardcore rebuke don't you think yeah yeah and, for sure you know and, and it's almost like in real time you know like I, I, like what is he saying in that statement uh where his family's being used against him because they're not flowing with him Well, as you say, it's 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 a pretty lonely spot to say all of a sudden that uh, the people who are closest to us uh, at, at the flesh and blood level uh, are not with us in the realm of uh, the spirit where God dwells. So, you know, that's an interesting, interesting uh, point. That uh, you know, God had mercy on His brothers, and <laughs> came to uh, bow at His His feet, literally and figuratively. Um, but we, you know, I I, I am I, I get emails and updates from uh, a group called Global Christian Relief. They used to be Open Doors USA. Uh, but there's stories and prayer requests about our brothers and sisters in places where family rejection is a regular feature of Christian life. If you if you become a follower of Yeshua in many countries uh, where where uh, the nation identifies as Muslim or the nation identifies oh as yeah Buddhist, uh, and you become a follower of Yeshua, you are cast out by your family sometimes just simply disowned other times even persecuted uh physically to the point of death 
Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, and that's today. He's not talking about back in the day. I just want to make sure we're clear about this. Yeah, we're talking we're about today. Talking about today. And the fact is, for many Jewish followers of Yeshua, um, to to declare that you have become a follower of Yeshua of Jesus, uh, they will say Kaddish for you. Kaddish is the mourner's prayer. They will disinherit and disown their own children for becoming followers of Yeshua. All right. So uh, it's still a very serious situation, uh, even in. Uh, the United States for some people uh, they disowned. I imagine um, there, 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 there's still a, a great family cost for many people uh, to, to follow Yeshua even today. Yeah, and, and that's why we can't take this lightly. Too, too much blood spilt, uh, has been spilt for the cause of Christ. Too much. And that's what I mean. Let's take the word of God seriously. You know, let's take like, like people have, have died. Uh, I think about the fact that I, I found out that in the early years, of, uh, people were trading animals, their, their stock for pages of the Bible just to be able to get something. Uh, because when there was a time when the word of God was illegal uh, and, and only uh, only priests were allowed to have the, the Bible. Uh, they were the only ones authorized to do it. So everyday people could not carry it until, I believe, uh, of course, the Reformation happened with Martin Luther and then um, the printing press was definitely a, a big help. But there were people literally dying just for a page of the scripture um, and so I need everyone to consider that. And then, of course, before that, the people that were dying just for, for being believers, that's something you don't take lightly. Um, and I, I do want to, when we talk about the passion of Christ, I can't help but see the passion of Christ in the story of the prodigal son that so many people are familiar with. But where I'd like to know where you see the passion of Christ or the heart of Christ in the story of the prodigal son? Uh, so I want to clear up the word passion when you're using it. <laughs> Historically, when we talk about the passion of Christ, we're talking about the crucifixion. Uh, when you look at Mel Gibson, yeah. the passion of the Christ uh, comes from the, <clears throat> the Greek word pascha, uh, which, which was the Passover lamb. And so when we talk about uh, the passion of Christ in its historical setting, we were talking literally about the, 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 the cross, the events that led up to the cross. Yeah, that, so you saw me switch it up. <laughs> yeah, today when you, you're saying passion, you're talking about the heart of Christ. What, what, what is the thing that he's passionate about, right? Yeah. So I just wanted to clarify that. No, because, I love it. I love it. I, I, I switched it up, but you caught it. You're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I know what he did. But okay. I, I, yeah, I, but I'm glad you clarified that because I, I probably I was just trying to get to the point. I would. I'm so glad you did that uh, because I don't ever want people to think because because first of all, that what you just did is a prime example of what I'm talking about. Like I caught it because I I studied from a messianic perspective. So when I said passion, I'm like, oh, I used the wrong word. I want to get back to the heart. And then you were like, no, let's clarify that. And by your ability to catch it, clarify it, you know, 
Now genuine, authentic truth is being spoken over the airways, not an interpretation. You get what I'm saying? I'm just glad to clear the air. <laughs> I, I, clear the air? No pun intended. Yeah, dude, we're on the air. This is great. That's so beautiful. But, and, and, and this is why, and, and this is what I'm saying. It's like, somebody say, well, I don't think that was a big, big deal. No, folks, I'm literally talking about using the right words from the word of God so we can get the right understanding. I make a mistake using the wrong words. I mean, even though I corrected myself, which I'm kind of happy about, like, wow, I, I heard it, it I, I caught it in Jesus. But when you, to, to clarify it, it's like, this is exactly why we need spiritual leaders who, who know the word of God from the original text, from the scriptures, so that they can correct these small little nuances. Because if we keep if we keep being dismissive with these small little nuances, as we say, eventually we're going to end up into big areas of of a big era. I mean, we're going to be in the, in the big era. So it's, I mean, if I keep misusing certain words, it's only a matter of time before I'm not even talking about what we were supposed to be talking about in the first place. I could think I am, but we're not. Right. Well, in, in a way, it gets back to that messaging idea. Uh, the message the message starts to get lost if people are hearing a word and thinking one thing when you meant something else, right? Right. We have definitions that we all agree on. And that's one of the things that's happening. Uh, and this is a huge other subject, and I don't want to launch into it. But that is one of the things that's happening in our culture is words are being devalued and changed in in, in meaning uh, to suit people's ideas and circumstances rather than allowing them to have what is a historically defined and mutually agreed upon meaning. So people are starting to say one thing and meaning something else. And yeah. it, it leads to confusion and chaos. And I'll, well, I'll use a word, I'll say, that you guys can pay everybody can tell you where they want, but even the word love, it, to me, that's a word that so powerful, but it's being diminished so much. Uh, and and I'm not talking about like love ice cream, you know, and then love your favorite shoes or love your favorite movie. I'm so like, like the, the way we just say love, the way we just say friends, those or the way we say marriage, <laughs> you know, those. Those words have just have just been drained of so much meaning, uh, and and it, it's weird how these words you like you just say tell somebody you loved them back in the day, and they're like, oh, we're in this for life. We're best friends. We're we're getting married. You know now you know love is just thrown out there frivolously, frivolously, um, and and that's that's definitely uh, un unfortunate. We got to get back to understanding the, the heart. Of the things, but but uh, but I would love to see where you see the the heart of Christ in that story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, yeah. Um, well, I think the heart of Messiah in that story, what we're really talking about is the Father's heart, uh, right? The, the sure is on the father and on his oh there's so many so many aspects of, of, <laughs> of, of, of the father's love story um, the 
when I think about the heart of Messiah there, the, the, the thing that I think about uh, Yeshua's heart was for the Father. Yeshua's heart was for the Father's glory. Yeshua's heart was for people to know his Father in the way that he knew the Father. And then when we look at the story of the prodigal son, uh, Yeshua's desire then in telling that story is that people would know the Father uh, as this, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the first thing about the Father is he, 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 he accepted the insult from his son, right? The son basically is saying, I wish you would die so that I could have the money. But since you're not dying, give me the money. That, that's what I want. I, I want the money. I don't care about you. I wish you were dead so I could have it. And the father gives him the money, right? So so there's, there's the heart of the father to allow the son to follow, follow his own sinful desire. But there's the heart of the father also in allowing the son the uh, freedom to suffer the consequences, right? Yeah. Because the heart of the father is for the son not to just be plucked out of the trouble and, and restored uh, without any, any change because we'll be right back in that situation. So the heart of the father is, is, is patiently waiting too for the day of realization in the sun so that when the son of his own free will wants to come back and have re e even the, the, the most minimal sort of relation, let me, let me come back and, and, and serve as, as your servant, as your slave. The heart of the father uh, sets aside his you know, some have made the point, I think it was Tim Keller in his book, uh, Prodigal God, sets the, the father sets aside his own personal dignity when he sees the yes. son so far off. There you go. He hikes up his robes, right, so that he can run to the son. You know, this, this is what Yeshua is trying to do, the heart of the Messiah, to show us the heart of the father. I, I guess I'd put it that I'm way. I'm literally trying not to cry. <laughs> So, so, so that Yeshua draws this portrait of his own father, that this is how he wants to treat us, that he allows us the dignity of our choices. He allows us the, the pain of our suffering, all in the goal <clears throat> that we will wake up one day and realize how good we had it in the father's house or how good we could have it if we returned to the father, you know, however you want to put that last part. And that we, as we begin to approach the father, we never even make it back to the father, right? The father comes to us first. As, as, as we finally turn to face him, he comes running. Whoa. We never made it to the father. Dude. Can't you say stuff like that? Isn't that That's a mic drop right there. We never came to the Father. He came running to us. 
Well, that, that's what happens in the story anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just looking at it because that's what happened in the garden. That's what happened. Uh, you know, he wanted the tabernacle with us. Right. You know, he's the one that interfered with Cain and Abel. He's the one that called Abraham out. He's the one that, you know, like, like, like that makes the promise. He makes the covenant. He's the one that covers, he protects. He's the one that was a cloud by day and a fire by night. He's the one that divided the sea. He's the one that made the commandments. He is, the, you know what I mean? It's like, good grief. When you say that, I see him running over and over and over again. Yes. Yeah, and he's he's a, himself he's in, in, in uh, Revelation, he describes himself as one who comes to the door and knocks. Sheesh. He, he, he is making the approach. Oh, come on, guys. Yo, and so for, I'm, I'm let me use this perspective. I think about sometimes um, why fathers leave, why fathers abandon their children, why fathers give up. And, <clears throat> and I realize it's not always about the, the there's just no good men out there. It's a lot of times most people underestimate the grief that men can carry. And this is when we, even when Christ moves into a man's heart, there's this battle that exists on the inside where, you know, um, we already know that the majority of the people we're around only want something from us, including our, our wives and children and parents. Like, I mean, from the perspective of a man, we already know that if I don't perform well, uh, you know, uh, in any aspect that I'm, I'm going to be criticized or judged. And, and then when I do the right thing, it's not going to be celebrated very long. And it's going to be, oh, you, you did that right. Because you're supposed to. What's next? And so being a man is very difficult in this world. And I watch Christ embody that, you know, like no one gets it. Like he's the, like the ultimate father, right? This this ultimate, you know, kind of father figure. Like even though they father forgive them for they know not what they do, uh, and then he's constantly empowering. He's he's willing to lay his life down in one aspect, and in another aspect, he's willing to empower us and enlighten us, even with gifts that we don't understand, for the sake of us returning to him like this guidance, this insurance, he'll become whatever he needs to become to guide us into this right place, this right standing. You know, uh, if we need a father, he'll be that. If we need a friend, he'll, he'll comfort us like a friend. He'll, he, he maneuvers through like all of our dysfunctions. And I, when you say he pulled up his robe and ran to the prodigal, like not even asking, where have you been? What have you done? Uh, not I'll, I'll embrace you if I can smell you. If I if I know how how lost were you? He's running completely, not thinking about his lostness, but only thinking about the fact that he he's come back. Right. That's intense love. That's why I can't just use the word love in any kind of way. <laughs> sure. You know, I mean, well, yeah, we're given we're given. Uh, C.S. Lewis has that great book about the four loves, uh, unpacking the idea that in Greek there's four different words that are translated as love, but they each signify a different sort of love. And <laughs> in English, unfortunately, we only have this one word. 
and we need to <clears throat> unpack it in different places so people can kind of understand where we're coming from. But God's love is that kind of love that uh, is is a self-sacrificing for the good of others love, right? That that's 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 the the the, the definition of agape, the Greek word agape, uh, as opposed to eros, which is physical love or phileo, which is the love that we have between uh, good friends. Uh, storge is family love. So all these different uh, places uh, that, that we exhibit love, but it's a different level and different sort of, of commitment. Uh, we, we, we lose that in English when we just have the one word that covers it all. Oh, man. And I got I to gotta tell everybody, like, think about what he just said. There's different types of love. And this is where it's so important for you to be, to understand this is exactly what I'm saying. So you can read a scripture, see the word love, know you saw the word love, you know you saw the word love, it's, and it's not the love you're thinking of. Well, it, no. might it could be. It could um, be. It, it's good to go to the to the original language then and just determine is this is this uh, the the usual choices are phileo. Uh, the love that we have between friends and agape, the love that uh, God has in in that self-sacrificing for the good of others uh, yeah. sort of way. And that's what uh, is going on when we read uh, in, in John, uh, when Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Uh, there's, there's a little bit of a change. He asks him if he agapes him. And G Peter, Peter says, you know, I do. Uh, then he asks him if he feel that, oh, uh, loves him that way. So there's a little, little bit of, of, of pain in, in, in Peter's heart. Uh, and it's because of that different use of the two Greek words. All of which, of course, is, uh, I, don't, I don't want to get into the confusion, but the fact is that Jesus and Peter at that point in... So he didn't actually say the, the same love three times. Or he speaking Greek. Yeah. He, so he didn't say the same love three times. He said different versions of right, love. Right. Oh, right. people, I, I got to let you know, this is the first time I'm hearing this. Uh, the, I always said he said love three times because there's the there's the power in the number three. And, you know. <laughs> well, it's three, it's three because Peter denied him three times. Oh, man. Guys, and I know somebody is going, what did we just listen to? Folks, you heard it right here. You know, the scripture where he says, he told me three times. He asked three different ways. I need everybody to hear this. So, and I, listen, I know that I, that I can look crazy on Facebook. I get it. You know what I mean? People are like, man, it's, it's Duke, all right? You know, I get it. I get it. But this is the stuff. This is part of the reason why I'm the way I am, because I have this intensity for the body of Christ. I have this urgency for the body of Christ to get right, to get right standing with God, to get in the right like mindset. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you you'll still see me as crazy, but you'll at least know what I'm trying to do. <laughs> but but my, my, and the reason why I say that is because of stuff like this. I'm going, don't you know that that, that authentic, real truth, life-changing truth is available? I, I get our interpretation, but if we take an assessment of American culture right now, we we've we can now say, hey, how have we been doing as a country, as a culture, as a church, with our interpretation? 
Is the country, are we seeing the moves of God <clears throat> manifest? Are we seeing, would God be pleased with our interpretation right now? Most people who have to be honest with themselves would say, I don't think so. I think we need to correct some stuff. And this is how we correct ourselves. We go back. We find leaders who are profound in the teachings of the ways of God. We connect. This is why the church in Israel is so important. Because if we correct ourselves, it's, it's we're still setting the standard. If we go to our brothers and sisters who know Hebrew, who know the language, who, who are astute, in the studies of the ways of God, we can get correction, folks. And that's what our country needs right now, especially our churches. We need correction. We need guidance. We, you know, And we need to take advantage of the fact that the Gentile church is engrafted in. That's a benefit that we can go to our brothers and say, hey, what does this really mean? We just found the scripture I've heard since I was a child that Jesus said three times, do you love me, Peter? And all I saw was love, love, and love. And you're saying, he said, the three different types of love. That is profound, absolutely amazing. I love my life. <laughs> uh, so, where, where, so, this is like, well, so, so here, here, here's the thing is, is The first thing I want to say is we have been given a great gift to have the Bible in our language. This is what so many people died for over the centuries is to have what we call the vernacular, the, the, the scripture in vernacular. Uh, in the Western world, the scripture was uh, in Latin, used in the, in the Roman church. And as Latin passed out of uh, existence, uh, active use, uh, people didn't know Latin anymore. The only people who knew Latin were priests. And then it became a case that even priests didn't really know Latin. They just know how to get through the mass. And so, so you had people like uh, John Wycliffe and John Hust, and uh, I don't remember the guy's first name, Cranmer, uh, people who were working to, to translate the scripture into English who gave their lives for the cause. Basically, they were burned at the stake, many of them. Uh, for, for, for their desire to bring the Bible to the people in a language they could understand. So the first thing I want to say is, you know, let's let let's value the fact that we have the Bible in our own language and that it is accessible, and that this is the goal of Bible translators around the world is to bring the Scripture uh, to what's called the heart language of every tribe and group and uh, language uh, in, in the world. Um, <clears throat> but then the second thing is that <clears throat> we, we do want to uh, understand that there is an original language and to be able to access those languages does give us some deeper understanding of, of some, some of the issues that we might miss. And John here in John chapter 21 is a prime example of that because there is a, a back and forth between Yeshua and Peter uh, and, and if we understand the original language that we see that they're using different words for love, uh, they're talking about agape, they're talking about phileo, and it does give us a little bit deeper insight into maybe, especially Peter's 
psyche at that moment and he was fragile because because jesus asked him do you agape me do you love me with this self-sacrificial and peter is coming off of this real strong failure and he he can't use that word he says in english it says simon do you love me more than these he says yes lord you know i love you but jesus says do you agape me are you willing to lay down your life self-sacrifice like i did for you and the best that Peter can do is say, I phileo you. I love you like a friend. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so Jesus asked him the second time, do you agape me? Peter says, I phileo you. The third time Jesus asked him, do you phileo me? Okay. And so Jesus, even in that moment that we see the grace and the mercy of God, he accommodates himself down to Peter's level. Okay. My answer to you, remember, he says, do you, do you agape me? Peter says, I phileo you, uh, feed my sheep. Do you agape me? I phileo you, feed my sheep. Do you, do you phileo me? I phileo you, feed my sheep. So, so there's, there's this gentleness uh, with Yeshua here, the, 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 just so endearing. So, so yeah. to each of us, we, we feel like we even sometimes we we know we've screwed up and we can't bring ourselves to be in his presence he wants so much to be with us remember the scene there he's he's appeared to them to make them breakfast on the shore <laughs> you know it, it it's just so glorious how how merciful and how much he desires to be with us that he he comes and he accommodates himself. You know, the, the, the first great thing was he accommodated himself to 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 be incarnated that he might walk among us and be with us. Uh, such, oh man, such a lowering of himself so to to be with us, right? And that nature of Christ just hasn't changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that 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 same willingness to come and be with us where we are not to especially in our sin not 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 to to let us wallow there but to encourage us this is peter you know even as low as you feel i'm and i'm asking <laughs> you, I'm telling you i trust you to come feed my sheep right wow <clears throat> you know you know and so so after saying that uh and then hearing you say that that, that resonates with me because um, it goes right along with after the ascension when when uh, you know he comes back you know uh, I guess right before the ascension he goes somewhere and then he comes back and he appears to them on the boat again kind of like when they first met and Peter jumps out of the water and runs to him and John comes up and says why do you embrace the one that betrayed you and. He's just like, man, what business of that is yours? Like, you know, and it's like this reaffirming, you know, like this grown man, Peter's literally laying in his chest like a child and this grown man, yeah, uh, is, is like Yeshua is telling John, mind your business pretty much. <laughs> and you, you see this conversation where he's saying, you know, like you said, I, I'm trusting you, but you also see it. You also see this, the heart of Christ when he's praying and he's uh he's sweating blood and he's sweating blood and he's just asking the disciples to pray with him and so it's like another disappointment from the disciples but he finished it 
he finishes it by going, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then it turns into sleep on, you know, like, I got this. Like, like you can't even go where I'm going, but it would have been nice for you to pray with me for one hour. <laughs> and a lot of times, in case people want to know another reason why I would look so crazy on Facebook, that honestly is a, one of the things that I would be saying. I'm like, hey, guys, we, we've got work to do. We've got kingdom to build. we got ministry. And then the, the, the obvious difference between me and Christ is he kept his cool. Me, I freak out. I'm like, guys, you're really, you're really willing to allow you know, missed opportunities and sharing the gospel. And <clears throat> that's one of the things that, that I, I wanted. To, that's why I wanted to talk about this, this heart of Christ, because people do possess the heart of Christ. Men and women of God all over the world are dedicating every moment they have, everything they have to establishing the kingdom of God. And they're taking chances, taking risks, putting their lives at risk. And it's important we in the body of Christ here in America that we join that intensity in, in the heart of Christ. I'd love to ask you this. Um, do you think Americans find the heart of Christ difficult to embrace? And I know you can't really speak for all Americans, but, but do you feel like a lot of people, humanity, do you have a lot of people find embracing the heart of Christ because the reality is you're not guaranteed a reward, a payment, like an earthly payment, like right here and now, you know, like I know that if I, if I give you my $10, that I'm going to get a hundred dollars back. You know what I mean? Like the, the you know, do, do you feel like the heart of Christ is, is, it's beautiful, but I mean, the, a lot of people don't have the resilience and the tenacity to 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 remain committed to it. Go ahead. I think what I hear you saying about the heart of Christ is uh, being evangelistic and going out and preaching the gospel, right? Yeah. Um, you know, books and books and books have been written on the subject of evangelism, how to do it, why it's not done. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think I could unpack all of that in, in one spot. Uh, I think that we are all called, first of all, to submit ourselves daily to God's leadership, to take up our cross and follow him. This is what he says, if you want to be my disciples, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You know, when we, when we talk about evangelism, a lot of it uh, in the New Testament is undertaken by people who are sent, the apostles, go out and, and preach the word in that way that we associate with uh, Billy Graham, uh, historically, somebody like George Whitfield, um, the disciples are going out in that sort of big public way. <clears throat> a lot of the teaching, though, that they give in their letters to the churches uh, is more about day-to-day uh, -day living. And Peter makes it very clear uh, that we are to uh, honor Christ in our hearts. And after that, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us a reason for the hope that we have. Yeah. 
so that a lot of the evangelism uh, that's understood in, in that organic person-to-person uh, -person way begins with godly living. Uh, what we have to be ready, though, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, to be able to articulate well and clearly what is the reason that we have for the hope. Our hope is that Jesus is going to return and make all things right. Our hope isn't heaven per se, and that's really part of the problem. Why do you believe in Jesus? Because I want to go to heaven. He happens to be a person right. answer. <clears throat> but what we, what we really should understand is the return of Jesus means an end to sin and sin's power, an end to the devil and the devil's power, and having all things uh, in creation set right once and for all, uh, set right in relationship to uh, its creator and set right in relationship to all of the other pieces of the creation that he's, he's, he's made. So that, that is the hope that we look forward to. Our hope is that Jesus is going to return and make all things beautiful, right? So that we need to be able to articulate, you know, the, the, the separation that sin caused, the, 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 the reconciliation that God brings about through the sacrifice of Jesus and the, uh, <clears throat> the glory that we look forward to because, because Jesus has risen from the dead. So when we talk about evangelism, there, was, there is uh, show and tell, I guess we could put it that way. We, we, we have right. to show people that we have been changed in, in, in the way that we live, and then we have to be able to tell people what it is that has brought about that change. It's my relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So I, I think we have to understand evangelism uh, working best. You know, all, all the studies on evangelism say that, I don't know, some huge proportion of people who come to faith in Christ uh, come through come to faith through lines of, of relationship, whether that's people we work with, uh, people that we yeah. bowl with, people that we play softball with. It, it's absolutely with, amazing. Uh, all, all kinds of different places where we can be, you know, we talked about going to the bars, uh, just being in places where people are, uh, there, there's, there's people there who need to hear about Jesus. And so we, we're, we're in those places, and then through relationship with people, we earn a right to be heard, I guess, is what yeah. people often put it. So, and, and I, I would say, I would say too to that, I would add to that, that uh, giving people space to be flawed and, and for you to rise above offense, because sometimes I know that some people will say, I'm not talking to that person. They, they do this. So I'm not going to evangelize to them because they have a beer here because they're this or because uh, some type of offense that interrupts the, 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 in, you know, pursuit. Uh, and and you, then you start with one reason. And next thing you know, you found 20 reasons why you're not going to minister to a, a whole, you know, group of people or a type of people or because of the music they listen to. And when I see that, it's so interesting because in Jonah, I see the opposite. 
of the heart of Christ, but the the like the knowledge of God, but he lacks the heart of this understanding that because God is good, he wants to reach people. And, and I think sometimes that we can we can get offended and, and and hold back some of the love that we could distribute, but because of an, of an offense, you know, we do the exact opposite of Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that there's there's that feature that we sometimes say we're not going to talk to those people. I, I wonder how much of it, though, is related to our thought that uh, there's no way that the, that kind of person would, would believe. And, yeah. And, and it comes back to our own anxiety and fear. Um, the, the movie <laughs> that was out a little while ago, The Jesus Revolution. Yeah. Um, you definitely see some of that and we're not going to talk to those dirty hippies yeah 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 but again how is that our own personal defense that we throw up because we're afraid that uh we're going to be rejected that they're going to laugh in our face you know i, I think that there's probably some yeah. connection to that yeah i think so <laughs> as well and i think that that's the thing that keeps most of us from from uh evangelizing uh, in the way that I think it's popularly understood, um, we feel uncomfortable bringing Jesus into a conversation. Um, and, you know, I, I struggle with the same, same kinds of issues. And it's just something that we have to learn to overcome the fear uh, that there are legitimate ways and legitimate places if, if we look for them and we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us where we can begin to turn things towards a spiritual conversation. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the simplest things that all of us can do uh -huh. is simply to ask people, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Um, that is is very often just a simple way to to begin a conversation. Uh, turn the conversation in, in a spiritual direction. People are <clears throat> generally uh, open to to the idea that you might pray for them. So yeah. I just want to encourage you, uh, and especially in, a, in, in the time that we live in, there are so many resources if you want to uh, educate yourself on the subject of uh, how, how to how to share the gospel, share the good news with other people. Uh, people are afraid of objections that, that other people will have that I won't know how to answer. Uh, what yeah, if, for if sure. As an atheist and I don't have good atheist arguments. Well, <clears throat> there are lots of resources that you can look to, uh, online resources, uh, books that have been written on the subject. Oh, for sure. There, 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 there's so many so many uh, apologetics. Apologetics is the uh, the word that we put on uh, giving a defense of the faith. So many, so many uh, different people and books that are, are working in the area of apologetics, uh, answers to all kinds of questions that people have. <clears throat> you know, so if, if, if we're serious about it, we, we can educate ourselves we can yeah I was, that's what i was going to say is that we don't books or podcasts that we listen to yeah um, I, I was going to say that th this is a generation where the the 
the the idea of of not knowing something is it's going to honestly be by choice. I mean, there, there's people teaching Hebrew out there. There's people teaching you know Greek, Latin. Like, if we were really okay, so so you know, God says I'm a jealous God, right? I actually uh, sometimes I get jealous for the kingdom of God. I do. You know, the scripture that says you can take a mountain and cast it into the sea. For a long time, I understood that that was just an analogy. You can't actually take a mountain and cast it into the sea. Until I realized, and this is what I mean about balance. Until I'm, I'm driving one day, uh, I was driving to, I was driving to either Kentucky or West Virginia. And I see these mountains and it's until this day it messes me up it's all these bulldozers literally taking the mountain and they would take all the rocks and the stones and just chip away at the mountain and then take it and throw it into this this like river or lake or something and they were really making a new formation for the river and lake but literally i saw mountains come down to make room for society, make room for people. I've seen industries that would have literally been impossible to create and make, but because people were dedicated, committed to it, you know, uh, in American culture, we have the greatest army in the world. I would, you know, we got the greatest military in the world. And, but we started with a bunch of farmers and slaves and pitch, you know, with the little forks and the, <laughs> you know, the pitchforks and slaves and the British had a massive army. You know, I look at the things that we've overcome, that we've endured and, and literally seeing the word of God manifest for man's society for mankind, for convenience, for technology, for all these industries. And I find it interesting that only when it comes to the kingdom of God, are we more prone to making excuses why we're not going to do what God called us to do, you know, or we're not going to be who God called us to be. It, 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 it's mind blowing. The things that I hear people say, like, uh, okay, watch this. I hear people call themselves a perfectionist, right? they're a perfectionist but then when it comes to the word of god they're like oh nobody's perfect but then you see yeshua clearly say be holy as i am holy be holy as the father is holy you know uh the word of god makes one perfect and thoroughly furnished uh uh you know and it's like wait a minute why is it that the bible is saying that we can be perfect but everyone else is saying we can't be perfect and then because of this messaging that we've been talking about, I find out the word perfect doesn't mean perfect, like, like flawless. I find out the word perfect means mature. Well, <laughs> I know we can mature. The only thing I can be is the is me. I, I, I can mature. I can turn to a full version of me. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a little extra full. But, <laughs> but my point is that, yeah, I got you, I got you. I, I, my point is, is that why are Christians and, 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 and faith-based people running around? We're the only ones running around saying that our God can do anything. He's an awesome God, but then, but he can't make us whole 
uh, we, we can't escape from sin. We can't be perfect. When one, perfect doesn't mean flawless. It means mature. Two, why are we the only ones? Like Christ himself has given us a full invitation into wholeness and peace. Why are we arguing against that? I'd love to know why you think there's such pushback <clears throat> on what God says we can do, who God says we are. Why are we people of faith pushing back from that? I feel like we're, we're, we're we've become a generation of Peter saying, no, I'm not worthy and being ashamed. What, what do you think that is? Excuse me. Um, I don't know um, where where the uh, emphasis is that says we can't be whole, uh, even though we still struggle with the flesh. I mean, Again, it's, it's one of those things where we're called to deal with things that are in tension with one another. <clears throat> so when, when, when we understand, <clears throat> you know, we used to talk about our position in Christ, you know, what was true about us positionally uh, when I was a new Christian back in the 70s. <clears throat> and what we were taught this is the truth, is that in Christ, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That we are in Christ and we are seen by God through the lens of Christ and we are perfect, pure, and holy, and unblemished. That is our position in Christ. And this is how God sees us here and now through Christ. But there's also the practical reality of living out that positional truth. And so this is the place where we're called to reckon ourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ. This is where in practical outworking of being holy in Christ, we need to become holy in our practical ways. So that we understand the Paul's talking about the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these two cannot be reconciled. So we have to daily enter into the battle to be holy and to take yeah. up the positional truth that God has for us when he says we are holy in Christ. Now he Jesus says, Be holy as the Father is holy. We have been sanctified fully in Christ. He has become to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He is all of these things in us, to us, and for us already Oof. in a positional way. I love that. The truth about us, about who we are in Christ. And this phrase that Paul uses, in Christ, is so crucial to understanding this, I think, so that each day we are to wake up to ourselves being in Christ and to Address the day and attack the day in that same way that I am in Christ. Therefore, sin is going to come at me in a variety of ways. It's going to come at me as the devil, as the world, and as my flesh. And each one in its own way is going to be trying to destroy my holiness in 
doing so is going to be trying to destroy my peace with God, my shalom, my oneness, my wholeness. And I have to be on the ready, you know, taking your stance. It says, uh, you know, Paul, when he talks about putting on the full armor of Christ, he talks about standing and taking our, our battle position, our battle stance. Yeah. So we have to take that stance. And in the process of living each day, we are going to uh, have victory in these areas. We're going to have defeat in these areas. But at the end of each day and at the beginning of each next day, we must say to ourselves, no matter what happens, I am in Christ. Yeah. That all these things are true of me. And even though I failed in this area, this is not a reason for shame. It's a reason for confession. If we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every unrighteousness. You know, you know, it's funny. Yeshua has paid it all. And so I think that to, to focus on the shame and to focus on the failure is to deny the truth about us. Because Jesus hasn't spoken shame or failure over us. He's mm. spoken. That's literally listen to another voice. That's yeah. You're listening to another voice when you do that, when we get, when we get to that place where we're now speaking in opposition of when, when, when we're speaking in opposition of what Christ has called us, you're, you're, you're exactly right. Um, and I, I need everybody to understand how, how sinister that is that something else is speaking to you there's a trauma a word uh a, a demonic presence something dark happens to us uh and where we literally use the power of god to speak but we speak disbelief or we speak in opposition of who god is and his desires for us. Well, we're, we're choosing to walk by sight and not by faith. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I do want to make it clear. <clears throat> I, I, I do hear that the, this is going to sound weird, but I, I, it doesn't sound like it's the most. See, for me, it does sound loving. But in, in James, when he says, listen, guys, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. To me, all like that type of clarity, Christ does make it clear that there is a choice to be made that we are there since there, there there is no gray area sorry could you uh, say that again that is my phone sorry about that but that's what i'm like i'm trying to clear up the gear I, I know someone said dude that's not your responsibility you're just making yourself look crazy okay i get it but i can't help it I mean, i'm trying to, to help it but i know that there's no gray area you know, and when I hear people say double-minded, man, you know, like, it's like, we've got to you know, do that. Listen, guys, we're out of time. Uh, Jerry, you know for a fact that I absolutely hate letting you go. <laughs> so this is going to be a great show. You guys are actually going to be able to see this episode on Real Life with Duke White. Make sure you listen to it on the podcast, uh, Real Life with Duke White podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, all that stuff. And, of course, here on Current FM. Uh, thank you so much, Jerry, for for joining. We got to do this again. You are the man. 
<laughs> Duke, it's always such a pleasure to have to talk about the heart of the issue for his sheep, to talk about the heart of the issue for the world. Uh, remember, we're in that, that phase of Yeshua's ministry still where he says, I have come not to condemn the world, but to save it. That uh, he's coming again in judgment, but we are still yes. Today is the day of salvation. So for anybody who's listening, uh, Jesus is, is the answer to your alienation. He's the answer to your sorrow. He's the answer to your hopes and dreams. Uh, everything that God desires for you is first found by faith in Yeshua. Amen, amen, amen. All right, man. Love you, brother. 